Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Friday, September 30th, 2011. (laughs) October approaches. Hmm, we're not too far away from Reformation Day celebrations and Oktoberfests and things like that. <laughs> Lutheran equivalent to Christmas, you know. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I'm your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and as a result of it, well, we've got to do the biblical discernment work. And that what that means is, is comparing what people are saying to see if it squares with Scripture. You know, you think of Scripture as the norm, as the rule, as the canon. Uh, you know, it it is the perfect measurement. And if when you measure what somebody's teaching according to the Scriptures in context, rightly understood, uh, what the Holy Spirit intended using the historical grammatical method, if uh, things don't square with the scriptures, well, the person's not teaching you the truth. And Jesus Christ is the one who warned us of wolves in sheep's clothing, false Christs, false prophets, false teachers who would come in and, uh, as the Apostle Paul said, ravish the flock, not sparing it. Uh, Satan is not sitting on his laurels. It's not like... Uh, well, how do I put it? The forces of darkness, the the demonic world, is uh, well. They don't have to spend a lot of time out there in the uh, in the pagan world doing anything with them. I mean, they've already got them in the bag, so they don't need to worry about that. They're all in the bag, and just make sure they don't get out. Uh, and the only way they would, you know, people in the bag would get out of the bag is if the church proclaimed repentance and the forgiveness of sins to set the captives free, so that. God, the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of Christ and Him crucified, would bring people to repentance and faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. So where Satan spends, uh, well, probably all of his time, is uh, working on the church, convincing pastors that they don't need to preach that. No, they don't believe that. No, 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 no. Here, you want to be successful, don't you? 
You want people to like you, don't you? Well, I've got some surefire ways for the world to like you. Just put that doctrine aside and don't don't attack that doctrine openly. No, 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 no. Let's let's not open that uh, attack it openly. Let's just never mention that one again. Or you know, or you want you know, let's let rather than doing what you're called to do, preaching the word. Why don't you tell people some great stuff as to how they can make their life better? And see, you'll feel like you're doing something really spiritual by you know making a difference in the world, and you can become popular. Uh, you know, and if you have a gro- fast growing church, well then, we've got conferences that we can have you speak at, and everyone will buy your books. You'll be a name that is. It's spoken of highly among you know circles of your peers, and the thing that gets lost in all of this, the sound proclamation of the gospel, the sound doctrine that we're called to preach and proclaim in the scriptures. Yeah, that's what gets lost. All right, so let's talk about what we're going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. I mean, here we are, it's Friday, and uh, I thought I would just take one last look at T.D. Jakes, because one of the things, and I'm not going to talk about tr- the Trinity and modalism today. There's, see, the, the, the reality is is that the Trinity er, and modalism is, well, I will spend a little bit of time looking at this, uh, because T.D. Jakes has spoken on it as, uh, as late as, uh, well, is it July of last year? He did an interview with a, with a guy down in Australia. We'll be playing part of that audio today. And uh, letting Calvin Beisner uh, provide the uh, the response, uh, Doctor Calvin uh, Beisner has written two books on the doctrine of the Trinity, and is uh, let's just say uh, when it comes to oneness Pentecostals, uh, this is right right in his wheelhouse. Um, anyway, but that'll be later in the hour. But uh, the the thing I want to make perfectly clear is this, and that is is that um, T D Jakes's modalism which I'm convinced he's still a modalist, and there is not nearly enough evidence uh, that he's repented of modalism or anything of the sort. Um, uh, my contention is is that that is merely the tip of the iceberg. Um, and uh, if, you know, if you were to uh, go to uh, equip.org, which is the website for the Christian Research Institute, and in their search box, type in T.D. Jakes. Um, there's quite a few articles that come up. And uh, there's uh, there's one that, you know, there's, <laughs> let's just put it this way. Modalism is just the tip of the iceberg. The There is literally an outline with multiple points pointing out these the supreme problems and dangerous errors that go along with T.D. Jakes, uh, which kind of leads to this issue. Why on earth would we want to mainstream somebody like T.D. Jakes? And so what we're going to spend a, 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 a quite a bit of time here this first hour is working through T.D. Jakes's other problems, okay? At least letting you hear some of them so you can get, you can get a, a broader idea of what this man's really all about. This man is a charlatan. This man is committing a crime against the body of Christ. And that, it, I mean, it's, it's just absolutely baffling, absolutely mind-boggling that uh, James McDonald or Mark Driscoll or any of those guys would, <laughs> doesn't surprise me about Furtick, but um, the, the, those guys would it basically embrace him as if he's a Christian brother. My question is, is that what evidence do you have that he's a Christian brother? I mean, Jesus said we'll know false teachers by their fruit, by their fruit. And so 
what we're going to spend some time checking some more of um, T.D. Jakes's fruit, if you would. And so I've decided uh, that uh, for T.D. Jakes, I've got a particular um, um, song. Uh, well, <clears throat> goes back to my youth um, from the uh, Rattle and Hum tour of uh, U2 and uh, the uh, album of that same name. Um, here's just a, a brief snippet to kind of segue into our examination of the fruit of T.D. Jakes. right. The God I believe in isn't short of cash, mister. Yeah, I just wanted to play that song, Bullet the Blue Sky, from the Rattle and Hum album from U2, just to get to that line. Somebody on the old-time gospel hour, stealing money from the sick and the old. The God I believe in isn't short of cash, mister. Well, now let's take a look. Let's take a look and listen to what T.D. Jakes is really all about. This is a man who's gifted at shaking people down for money. This is from a recent appearance of T.D. Jakes on the Trinity Broadcasting Network. Weird that he would appear at Trinity Broadcasting Network. Little irony there. But here's what he's really like. Listen, friend, as I hasten to a close... If you will just reach in and receive it, God's got it all stirred up for a reason. Hey! And if you just reach in and receive it. Reach in and receive it. The blessing is yours. Hmm. Reach in and receive it. The blessing is yours. Really? The business is yours. The property I said the property is yours. I don't care what they say on the title deed. God said the property is already yours. And all you got to do is reach in and receive it. So all you got to do is reach in and receive it. The property's yours. The blessing's yours. All you got to do is reach in and receive it. How do you do that? What you say? He said the kingdom suffereth violence. And the violence, take it by, somebody just snatch something right now. Snatch it. 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 Snatch
working them over, man. This is how you get it done. He lifted it up, still dripping with water. Said, look what the Lord has done. That thing that got away from me, God just gave it back to me. And it's in my hand. Provision. You didn't say anything about giving. Well, brother, sister, you wouldn't listen. Because if you will obey the Lord and just sow what you have. Just sow what you have. Give, give us all your money, then God will bless you. Don't argue about that figure he spoke. Just sow it by faith. Uh-huh. Don't argue about that figure. Apparently God spoke a figure in your head. Yeah, the figure that came up in my mind was zero. Because what you need God to do, that amount of money won't pay for. A thousand dollars wouldn't even pay for this. No, 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 no. This is way past that. This is way... That way past a thousand bucks. Ain't nothing but a stick. For what you believe in God to do, that's just a stick. Throw that stick in the water. Throw the stick and throw that thousand dollar stick into the water so that you and God can multiply it. And by the banks and wait. That actually it is coming back to you. Don't just don't just call us when you sow. Write us when you reap. Yeah, so means give them money, and reap means apparently God's going to see that and go, oh, wow, they've given money to TBN because T.D. Jakes told them to. I've got to bless that person now. Tell them, I don't even know who that big old country black preacher in the blue suit was. But he was jumping around, sweating and hollering, and the power of God touched me. And I just obeyed God. And everything that I thought I lost came back to me. I want you to tell us your testimony. Because as sure as I'm standing here tonight, God is going to turn it around. Somebody give God praise and glory. Come on, give God praise and glory. So God's going to turn it around, but you got to pay for it. you got to sow your money at uh, TBN. This is just a mm, typical televangelist word faith heresy type stuff. Didn't we hear something like this from Creflo Dollar? What's this doing being brought into the mainstream of American evangelicalism? Now here comes Paul Crouch. Boy, has he got a good look on his face. Like, oh yeah, I could just see the money rolling in now. I mean, thank God for T.D. Jakes, man. This guy can get them to... To, to fork over thousands of dollars to us. Did you hear the bishop tonight? Oh, yeah, I heard him. Are you going to do something about it? Yeah, I'm going to warn the church about you charlatans and you thieves. Pastor Ed, get a pledge slip to every one of those folks up there. I know you can shout. Now let's see if you can pledge. Uh-huh, yeah. I want to make something perfectly clear. I'm not going to pull any punches here. T.D. Jakes is a parasite.
is not a man of God. This is a man who preys on the poorest of the poor. This is a man who literally, literally is promising blessings from God. And who are the people who are watching him? The poorest of the poor in the African-American community and around the country and the world. And they think that they've got a, they've felt something from God to give what little provision God has given them to TBN and his so-called ministries. And believing a lie that they can buy a blessing from God. And he's walking around in his tailored suits and his expensive ties on that gaudy set of of TBN, daring to invoke the name of God in his theft and his robbery. This is an offense to God. This is an offense of, uh, that is beyond offensives. Why on earth would anybody who claims to truly be a Bible-teaching pastor want to have anything to do with this man? Have anything to do with these snakes and these charlatans? Have anything to do with those people who are robbing the poor and the sick promising them blessings if they sow a seed of money into their ministry. This is not the gospel. This is not what Jesus Christ died on the cross for. Why on earth would anybody have anything to do with this man or even call him a brother? He's a shakedown artist. He's a con man. He's a panhandler. He's no better off than the people who come when you go into into the city, wash your windows and expect money from you for doing so. This is highway robbery. Now let's take a look at the company that uh, TD Jakes keeps because I think that's important too. So we got TD Jakes shaking down people for money, but just a month ago. T.D. Jakes appeared on Trinity Broadcasting Network, and would you like to know who he had on the program with him? Who he invited to come onto the program with him? And who he endorsed and and endorsed their ministries? Here, listen, and here's T.D. Jakes. Wonderful, wonderful. So if you want to get a hold of that book, it's available to you. And we're excited about it, and we're delighted about it. The other thing I'm excited about tonight, and really, really, really glad to have, is this tremendous woman of God, who I feel silly trying to introduce her, because everybody in the world knows her. If you don't know who this woman is, you don't have a TV. You don't know who this... So so he's going to be... He's on Trinity Broadcasting Network. He's going to be introducing a tremendous woman of God. You don't have a cell phone. You don't have a computer. You haven't been anywhere. She is a pastor extraordinaire. She is a pastor extraordinaire. God's word says there's no such thing. She is a life coach. She is an author in her own rights. She is a woman of integrity that God is using in a very, very unique way. A a woman of integrity that God is using, really. We'll take a look at that in a second. Not only in church without walls there in Tampa, Florida, but throughout America and around the world. Would you welcome Dr. Paula White? We are glad to have you. We love you. 
Paula White. It's been a while since we've done a Paula White update. We appreciate you. It's my honor. I know you've been ripping and running and going everywhere, but tell us, tell us what's going on with you right now. Well, first, I want to say what an honor it is to be with the two of you. In yes. life, I believe that um, Henry Drummond said that we are all mosaics of the men in our life, the people in our lives, mm -hmm. and that we become a part of those that we interact with. A large part of who I am, the development, the cultivation, the staying on a track, the, the maturing is, is due to the two people that I have the privilege to sit with, that I have been able to call my spiritual father and mother for almost 20 23 years. Lovely. I adore, admire, love, and respect. So, uh, <clears throat> Paula White was invited on TBN to be there with T.D. Jakes when he hosted the uh, Praise the Lord thing just about a month ago. And uh, uh, Paula White made clear that uh, it was T.D. Jakes, who was her spiritual father and pastor for almost 23 years. Let's forget the fact that Jesus Christ... Uh, via the Holy Spirit, because they were the same God, different persons, by the way, um, through the Holy Spirit, uh, commanded the church by the inspiration of the scriptures written for us by the Apostle Paul that there are no women pastors. How many, how many of Jesus' apostles were uh, women? Zero. God's word forbids women from being pastors. So here we got T.D. Jakes endorsing... Uh, Paula White as a woman of God, as a pastrix. Well, let me play for you some audio from a segment that we did almost three years ago here at Fighting for the Faith. Uh, during the Easter season, um, Paula White uh, had a series of, um, well, well, she did a series of talks on her television program with a guy by the name of Larry Huck talking about the seven places that Jesus shed his blood and why that's important. Let's listen to the the teaching of Paula White to see if um, this woman really is truly a woman of God, a, a pastrix who preaches the biblical gospel. Here we go. Your victory is secured by knowing your place, position, and possession bought for you at Calvary's cross. Once again, here's Paula and Pastor Larry Huck with more on the seven places Jesus shed his blood. You better get up and call the toll-free number. Seven places Jesus shed his blood. If you want dominion, you want authority, you want to break the spirit of poverty, sickness, disease, generation. You want to break the spirit of poverty, sickness, and disease. You need to get... Um, some books by Larry Huck regarding the seven places where Jesus shed his blood. Generational curse and what God really did for you on Calvary, my CDs and teaching along with Dr. Larry Huck's five CDs in-depth teaching with the book that goes in detail about the seven places that Jesus shed his blood to give you victory, which means you're a conqueror, you're an overcomer in all things. Go to the website, write the P.O. box, or call the toll-free number for your ministry gift of $35 or more. Now, I'm going to give these quickly because we've got to get through them, and I, really people need the product. That's they the really, bottom line. They, you, they need the product. You can't get it in, you just can't get it in one setting because when you begin, Paula, it, it's the truth that'll come and set you free. Right. The truth you understand. They've got to get the products. And, and when we look and we give this bookmark too, Jesus, number four is Jesus' hands were pierced by the nails to restore total dominion to the works of your hands. Hmm. There isn't a single passage of scripture that says that Jesus' hands were f pierced 
in order to restore dominion to the works of your hands. It's weird that this is what Paula White's uh, uh, teaching on her television show. I thought she was a woman of God. If she was a woman of God, why is she mishandling God's word? Fifth place, Jesus' feet were nailed to the cross to restore total dominion in your walk. Yeah, now, right. Number six, the spear was thrust through Jesus' side, showing that he died from a broken heart to heal my broken Absolutely. heart. And we're going to go there. And number seven, Jesus bled on the inside when he was bruised to break every iniquity, which is those repeated sins of your forefathers. It's, the, it's really learned behavior. In, in when we really begin to understand that, that, that when Jesus Christ paid the price, the first thing that happened after he said it is finished is the veil was rent from top to bottom, signifying that no man could do that. But the price that was paid was there's now no separation. So that we have direct access in the Holy of Holies. We understand, according to Hebrews, that Jesus is our high priest. Absolutely. And and he's the first of many brethren, which means I now come into a priestly anointing. So I now can say that again because now, they don't get it. I now come into a priestly anointing. Jesus is not the only begotten on. son of God. He Did you hear that? Larry Huck just said that Jesus is not the only begotten son of God. And this woman of God, Paula White, didn't rebuke him. She said, come on. We back that up just a smidge. Here we go. Not the only begotten on. Son of God. He is not. I'm a Son of he's God. He's the first fruit. You've, you're the, he's the first fruit. He's the firstborn of many. Okay. Jesus is not the only begotten on. Son of God. He is not. I'm a Son of he's God. The, first the Bible says we're to come boldly before the throne, the throne of, God. of God. And I can come boldly, not double minded. I can come boldly because He's not only forgiven me of my sin, but He's healed my broken heart. He's healed the pain of my sin. So the blood of Jesus, that curtain was ripped open you said and i can come boldly before the jesus said don't pray to me mm -hmm. yeah so we're not supposed to pray to jesus now i'll not go to the father for you you go to the father because that curtain is open and my blood has a tone for you go on in so uh, uh, so just in this brief little segment jesus isn't the only begotten son of god despite the fact the scriptures say so uh we're not to pray to jesus even though the disciples pray to jesus um, okay. The water's fine. Jesus said, don't pray to me. Jesus said, don't pray to me. Uh, we've never missed our tithe. Tis right. and I have never missed a tithe, never made a pledge and didn't pay it, always gave, but never saw prosperity until I learned the third place that Jesus shed his Oh, no. Did you tell this to Robert Morris? Oh, no. Because uh, uh, Robert Morris is saying that you got to tithe in order to break the curse on your finances in order to be blessed, but... Yikes. Uh, isn't it weird when prosperity, word, faith, heretics don't agree with each other theologically? Whatever shall we do with this? So apparently you've got to also understand that there's a, another place where Jesus shed his blood, and you've got to understand that so that you can apply it properly so that you can be experience prosperity. Tithing apparently isn't just enough. But to break the curse of poverty. And, and I want to hit that because poverty is a curse. It is a, a curse. curse. Absolutely. You know, and, and people have to understand this so much more. The same thing with prosperity. The, the word redeem means to be brought back. In the Garden of Eden, 
There was no poverty. There was no hunger. There was no need of food stamps. There was no debt. It was a land that flowed with milk and honey. When Adam and Eve disobeyed, they were thrown. And by the way, the word the word Eden, all of Eden was not a garden. Mm-hmm. The Bible says the garden was the east part of Eden. The word Eden means a place of voluptuous living. Right. God wants his children living voluptuously. I got no problem with a basketball player. So God wants you to live voluptuously because it's all that you get all that just from the name Garden of Eden. Driving a And Paula White's sitting there shaking her head going, yeah, come on, preach it, Huck. Rolls Royce. I got no problem with a baseball player flying in an airplane. We expect but wh- that. We expect that. Why Come can't on. a child of God have that? Come on. Those thorns are a symbol of debt in Hebrew, of mm-hmm. debt. Right poverty and lack come on and teach. so here they come with jesus teach. they see the symbol of debt poverty and lack then mocking jesus they build a crown out of these thorn bushes they take that crown and press it into the brow of jesus now god said to adam by the sweat of your brow come on teach every no matter how hard you work no matter how hard you sweat you're never going to get ahead because I'm not Jehovah Jireh anymore. But here comes Jesus, and they take that, that curse of poverty and lack, press it into the brow of Jesus. We're cursed by the sweat of Adam's brow. Those thorns pierce the brow of our Savior, and the curse of poverty has been broken, and we're reconnected to Jehovah our, our Jireh, our provider, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, see, now this is so vital here, Pastor Larry. I, I can go forever, and we're going to have to take a break and come right back. But that's why it says, He became poor that you might become come rich. On. So there's um, Paula White. Uh, we played this years ago on Fighting for the Faith, and it's worth bringing up at this point. Why? Because, uh, well, T.D. Jakes is, um, I mean, uh, uh, just a month ago, you know, had Paula White with him on the, the Praise the Lord TV show there at the Trinity Broadcasting Network. And uh, yet, James McDonald says that uh, T.D. Jakes is our brother in Christ. Despite the fact there's good evidence to believe he's a modalist, Despite the fact that he is an absolute charlatan who shills and shakes down the body of Christ and fleeces God's flock, despite the fact that he promotes uh, Paula White as if she truly is a God-fearing and godly woman and a pastrix, well, it gets worse. Uh, who else did um, uh, T.D. Jakes have on the uh, Trinity Broadcasting show with him a month ago? Well, there's more. It means a lot to be free and to know that you're free. Thank yeah. God for Stephen Dager. Give God a praise yeah. for anointing. One more time. I'm excited. We're on the road. Tonight. I can we're, tell. We've got the right people. We're in the right place at the right time, praising the right God. Lord. And the more is about to happen as we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. The woman of God that's going to come and share with us now. Another woman of God. Okay, who would this be? It's just a tremendous vessel of God. I, I love this description. They says not only is she a sought-after empowerment specialist, she is... An empowerment specialist. I wonder who this could be. A revolutionary thinker, and I love that because that is a very adept description. A transformational leader. She is a catalyst for change and a voice for hope for the... Oh, she's a transformational leader and a catalyst for change. Wow, who would this be? 
I wonder who this could... Oh, oh. I'm talking about Dr. Cindy Trim. <laughs> so uh, T.D. Jakes now is, um, just a month ago, promoting Cindy Trim as um, a, a, a woman of God, so, somebody that uh, he can truly endorse and wants the whole world to know about her ministry. Let's... I want to I welcome you... And, uh, and I also want to share something with you. I was talking to someone who, who hadn't heard you yet. I think they lived out in the bush somewhere and they hadn't heard you yet. And uh, they said, well, you know, I've heard her. Who is she like? And I said, uh, well, uh, they said, well, you know, compared to, I said, well, uh, you, you have such a unique anointing Praise and gift. And mm, she has a unique, unique is a good way of putting it. Anointing, yeah, no, not so much. Thinking and process that you aren't like anybody. <laughs> you are a very unique woman of God. How did that happen in Praise your life? And do you know, do you even recognize your own uniqueness? I recognize my uniqueness. Mm. Yeah, let's find out just how unique she is. Uh, here's um segment we played not too long ago on Fighting for the Faith, where uh, Juanita Bynum and Dr. Cindy Trim are at the Women of the Frontline Conference. Uh, here's uh, Juanita Bynum asking Cindy Trim a question. Let's find out just how unique her anointing is. Well, the first question, Dr. Trim, Dr. Trim is looking at me like... She tells me that I crack her up. This is... This is He's my sister. The first question that I would like to ask you, Dr. Trim, is um, we were talking about kingdom issues. And I want to know, first of all, what is the true purpose of the church? And how does the church find its relevance? How do we come into compliance to the point that we we know that we are not of this world and we know that to a certain extent in the spirit realm we do work we're supposed to be working against the kingdom of darkness but what we need to know is how do we how do we uh, prophetically work against the kingdom of darkness but at the same time come into an alliance where we don't end up destroying in the spirit what we're going to need later to accomplish where we're going. Can you explain that to yes. us? Yeah, could you explain the question to me, uh, Juanita, because that question doesn't make any sense. But apparently Cindy Trim, who has, according to T.D. Jakes, a unique anointing, uh, the unique anointing of, of, uh, of fleecing the sick and the poor, taking advantage of the African-American community and robbing them blind in the name of God, well, let's see what this unique what the, the unique answer that she gives. Um, the church, firstly, is a God idea. We have to understand that it has nothing to do with denominations. Number two, we have to understand that the church has never been, will never be, a religious institution. The church is, from a kingdom perspective, the educational institution of the kingdom of heaven. We have to understand that we go through socialization and education in the world system. Right. Once you're born again, the Bible says that we are translated or trans-new migrated from the kingdom of darkness. 
trans new migrated mm -hmm. never saw that one in the bible into the kingdom of light and when we're born again we're born again as babes in christ and so when we're when we come into the church actually what god does is turn us right side up because the bible says that if we are translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light that simply means that a person is walking in this world upside down it's like walking on your head mm -hmm. so once you once you come into the kingdom he puts you back on your feet and then he retrains you and he re-educates you so that you can walk out God's original plan and purpose in the earth realm for man. The earth was never created for spirits. That means that if there are any kinds of spiritual activities that are going on in the earth realm, they go, they go on illegally. And so there's a lot of illegal activities that are going on through falling angels. The Bible talks about in the book of Revelation that there was war in the heavenlies and that Satan was thrown down to the earth and there was a woe that went on uh, out from the heavens onto the earth realm. The word woe means judgment. Mm -hmm. The Bible also says, in, according to Genesis chapter 6, that these demonic spirits cohabited with human beings. And when they cohabited with human beings, they created a population explosion. With the population explosion, these giants came in into the land. That means that there was a, a perversion in the social realm where where in the families uh That's quite a unique anointing. I mean <laughs> the uh the unique anointing of theological yarn spinning. Uh, people would be produced that were, were being produced genetically through uh, perversions. And wow. so God, God instituted the church, number one, to, to show man and to teach man his original plan and purpose for man here in the earth realm. The book of Psalm 115 says that God is the God of the heavens, but he has given man the earth to rule. The Bible said in the book of Genesis, that God has given man dominion over the earth realm. Dominion is not someone giving you rights. Dominion is the right that God gives us to rule here in the earth realm. So we already so have it. We already have it. And what happens was it's snatched away because this uh, the dimension that we live in, the three-dimensional world, is ruled by principalities and powers. They're here illegally because the Bible said that Satan is the prince of the power of the ear, not of the earth. The Bible also indicates that Jesus Christ is king of kings and lords of lords wait so the so so wait 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 so then every demonic spirit that is operating around tormenting uh, uh, uh distressing us all of the stuff that we go through they were never supposed to be in the earth realm never they are the power and the prince of the air so when they come to the earth realm they are here illegally which it's means illegally. we have the right to rebuke them and they have to go they have to go. What happens is the Bible said that Christ is the head of the church in Ephesians. Christ is the head of the church. Therefore, if God has put all things under his feet, that means that the foot represents authority. It represents the enforcement of laws. And if the, the, the principalities and powers are placed under the foot of Jesus, if he is the head and the church is his body, that means that technically speaking, we have dominion over every principality and power because that would place the powers of darkness under our feet wow. and so our issue is an issue of position
And if we can understand our position, the Bible said that as long as we are in Christ Jesus, we should be seeking those things which are above in another dimension than those things which are beneath. That means that we have to deal with the whole issue of dimensions. The Bible indicates, uh, uh, as well as scientists, that we live in a three-dimensional world. So if we live in a three-dimensional world, scientists has indicated that there is something called a brain that locks, the, uh, locks us in the atmosphere. So as we're spinning around the universe, we don't get thrown off of the earth and so there's something that is strong i don't know what science book she's reading in the earth realm then gravity it's called the magnetic pool out of which you get the north pole and the south pole i want to go somewhere with this north pole and south pole please this is very unique so that means that we are locked here in the earth realm through our physical bodies but the spirit is what keeps us from being locked into this third dimension after the third dimension you have a fourth which is the first heaven which is the atmospheric heaven you have a uh, the fifth dimension which is the second heaven which is the intergalactic and then which all mm -hmm, the intergalactic yeah with all the stars and the planets and the galaxy and then you get into the third heaven and if you count that gives us six dimensions yeah i lost count on that one that's so unique get that did y'all get that no. Did y'all get that? No, don't shake your head, yeah, because some of y'all sitting here and you ain't just, you ain't move with your pencil. Okay, let's back up, get your pencil out. Because you be the main ones up my, who just pray for me? I'm just going through so much. No, the dimensions, you have authority. Satan is under your feet. He is here illegally. He got his hands on your stuff and should not have his hands on your stuff. And you're going to learn how to rule in all six dimensions. Yeah, and the way that you do that is write a check to, um, Cindy Trim's ministry. Okay, so, uh, yeah, yeah, um, my question is this. Why, why on earth is James McDonald so theologically obtuse that he just ignores all the danger signs regarding T.D. Jakes' modalism? That he ignores all the danger signs regarding the fact this guy is a charlatan fleecer of the flock of Christ and somebody who is literally stealing from the African-American community. That the company he keeps and the, and the women's ministries that he endorses include the intergalactic unique anointing of Dr. Cindy Trim and the, um, how shall I put it, uh, the so-called ministry of Paula White, who denies that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God and, and affirms with Larry Huck that we shouldn't be praying to Jesus. Um, why? I mean, seriously, this is ridiculous. I don't consider T.D. Jakes to be a Christian brother. The man is a wolf. The man is a heretic. The man is a criminal. And if he doesn't repent of all of this nonsense, he's going to have to stand before God and give an accounting for all of this. We need to be calling T.D. Jakes to repentance and the forgiveness of his sins because the sins that he's committing are whoppers. They are huge. And somehow bringing him along with the with the caveat that, well, he's a Christian brother, and we're it basically sounds to me like there's going to be a lot a lot of elephant droppings that somebody's going to need to be cleaning up after the second elephant in the room conference.
because I don't see any evidence whatsoever that would make me believe that T.D. Jakes is a Christian brother. And when we get back from the second break, uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, walking through a recent series of statements that he made regarding modalism on a program down in Australia in the summer of last year, 2010. Um, So uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. The God I believe in is not short on cash, Mr. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> It's a visual age, and the old Bible is impractical and irrelevant, but that shouldn't hamper your spiritual growth. If you're tired of all those words like atonement, sin, justification, and all that deep stuff about God, look no further. Announcing The Massage, a new Bible version that puts you and your personal needs central. Written in a style familiar to readers of the National Enquirer, The Massage concentrates on making you feel good rather than filling your head with all those doctrines that clutter the older Bibles and disrupt unity. So if you've lost that loving feeling, pick up your copy of The Massage today. It's available at your local Jesus and Me stores and at airport terminals worldwide. money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. 
right, we're back. Warning, heretics who deny the Trinity and fleece the flock of Christ, they are not our Christian brothers. We shouldn't be embracing them, we should be rebuking them. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions to keep bringing this important discernment radio outreach to you as well as to the world. And you can partner with us. I can't promise God will bless you if you send us a single dime. In fact, you'll, you'll, if you send us a dime, you'll be short a dime. But the good news is, is that we'll use that dime to preach the gospel and to warn the body of Christ about false teachers, false prophets, and to help people understand the truth and how to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. If you would like to support us, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month. That's it. To the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, for this uh, next segment, I'm going to be playing um, audio from a uh, from a radio interview that T.D. Jakes did last summer. Uh, in Australia, the name of the program is uh, The Open House. And if you want to find it, you can find it by going to Google and typing in uh, The Open House Podcast. I think it's theopenhouse.net.au if you want to find out more information about that particular uh, program. But uh, I was made aware of this from the uh, from Mark Lamprecht of the Here I Blog uh, blog. In fact, you can find it at, let me f- make sure I'm giving him the proper attribution. It's hereiblog.com, hereiblog.com. And uh, he, he did a fine job of uh, pointing this out, uh, getting the, uh, transcribing the audio, and then soliciting the, uh, the comments or the feedback of a of a top theologian um, uh, it, by the name of uh, Dr. Calvin uh, uh, Beisner, who, who's written several books regarding the doctrine of the Trinity, and uh, it, very important to uh, to uh, get the uh, it, you know, all of this information into the mainstream so that you, y'all can make a, an informed decision as to whether or not T.D. Jakes is a brother to be embraced or a wolf to be literally drummed out of the visible body of Christ. I think that'd be the right thing to do. But so uh, here's um, uh, the, uh, the the host of the uh, Open House uh, podcast, this gentleman by the name of Leigh Hatcher. And here his, his, his interview with T.D. Jakes, and he steers into the conversation regarding modalism. Here we go. You have a uh, criticism, which is probably of more concern for those within your, your fellow evangelical community, would be uh, the connections with oneness Pentecostalism. Oneness Pentecostalism <laughs> traditionally denying the historic understanding of God being a, a trinity, one God, three persons for all eternity. You have actually had a oneness Pentecostal background. Have you changed your views when it comes to the the triuneness of God. Well, first of all, I'm laughing at the word connections because I have connections. Notice he's not answering the question directly at first. With everybody, I, atheists, agnostics, Jews, everybody. And if that's going to bother evangelicals, they're really going to hate me. I love people. 
And I have not broken up with people because I don't see everything the way they did. And yes, I did uh, grow up in a, in a oneness church, not started there. I started in a Baptist church, but at around 16 or so, I did become involved with oneness. People and used to adamantly defend every tenet of what they believe. I've evolved since then. I'm on the okay, so he says he's evolved. He, used to, he admits that he used to be a oneness guy, adamantly defending it, and he's evolved. Not repented, evolved. Me sincere. But I've not used my journey to attack other Christians just because I don't agree with every line of what, that they say about the Trinity. I'm not sure any of us can really fully explain as well. So he still thinks the oneness folks are Christians. We think we can, who God is. Um, so I, I've kind of evolved. Uh, I'm still kind of evolved. Fellowship. Hmm. I'm still involved and have connections with the oneness people. And under pressure. I mean, if you okay, if if I were a former Mormon, and I were to say, you know, listen, I you know, I still have connections with the Mormon Church. I mean, they were instrumental in helping me uh, come to Jesus Christ, and and I've evolved. I, I know, you know, I've evolved, and I don't agree with everything they teach regarding becoming a god, uh, but I've evolved, and I, I, you know, I still have fellowship and connections with uh, the folks in the Mormon Church. Would you all sit there and go, oh, yeah, Chris is a Christian brother? Asked to kind of step away. It would have been easy to walk away, to point my finger at them and criticize them and attack them and, and satisfy my critics. But it, in my heart, it was betrayal because, because you love people. Um, I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I do. And my understanding has grown a lot about that. Yeah, okay, so he believes in the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So do one as Pentecostals. But his, his understanding has, well, has grown. It's evolved. Okay. But I've not used my platform as a whipping post for any, any other Christian. Mm -hmm. I really don't feel called to do that. And I'm not going to succumb to pressure to become that. And I will not. By the way, this uh, interview was July 18th, 2010. So just a little over a year old. The wolves. I just don't do it. I let them write and say whatever they want to say. I'm on a journey. I'm still learning. If they know more than me, good. But just because you graduated, don't burn down the school. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Master with your words. I'm going to be taking notes on you after. You know what I am? I've, I've come to a point in my life that I say what I mean. And that is a wonderful place to be because I'm not trying to do anything anymore. I'm not trying to go anywhere. I'm not trying to. Be That's great. The question is, what, what do you believe regarding the Trinity? If I were to put the Athanasian Creed in front of you, which is the creed that, that, uh, that I will not believe you're a Trinitarian until you sign on to it, what would you do with it? Would you say, yep, that's what I believe the scriptures confess. I, I believe that is a correct confession of what the scriptures teach. Would you sign on to it? The career and please accept me so I can come to your church. I'm not there anymore. Yeah, yeah. I'm older. I'm comfortable in my own skin. Yeah, I'm comfortable in my own skin too, and I'm older too. What does this have to do with what the Bible teaches regarding the Godhead, regarding the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I want to know. I know Jesus for myself. I want to know Him better every day, mm -hmm. and you'd be surprised how much peace it gives you. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad you have that. Um, can you answer the question? When you're not trying to feed the wolves, they're... yeah, don't feed those wolves. I mean, yeah, because anybody who insists on precise doctrinal statements of 
sound biblical doctrine, who would rebuke those who contradicted. They're the wolves. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that those who teach sound biblical doctrine and rebuke those who contradicted, they're not the wolves. The wolves are those who refuse to abide by sound biblical doctrine. Notice his definition. The wolf is the person who is critical of those who don't believe the doctrine of the Trinity. You know, but he considers oneness folks to be Christians. He's, he said so just a year ago. We continue. They're always going to be coming. Jesus came that we might have peace, and I'm finally getting me some. I'm, I'm glad you got that. Um, again, can you answer the question? Feels wonderful. <laughs> I'm loving let me, it. Let me still play devil's advocate for a, a few more months. Yeah, notice that uh, <clears throat> Lay here uh, doesn't. Uh, he's noticed that um, he hasn't really answered the question. Can can we uh, keep pushing on this and get a, a firm answer about this? Because again, historically, it would be said that the oneness idea, modalism, it used to be called. I know that certainly oneness Pentecostalism has a slightly different version of it. But the idea that, you know, one God manifesting himself as Father, mm-hmm. Son, Holy Spirit. Yeah, and that's classic Sabellianism. Um, rather than the traditional idea of mystery of mysteries, one God made up of three distinct persons, uh, the, the, the modalism, the oneness kind of idea was declared heresy yes. back in the fourth century. Yes, it was. Nation creed, and so therefore, there has to be some sort of critique of anybody who does hold to that because they're actually putting themselves outside of historic Orthodox Christianity. First. Yes, they are. Okay, so good question for the uh, uh, the uh, the guy conducting the interview. Again, his name is Lay Hatcher. Good, good question. So he's redirecting because he he approached it once, didn't get an answer. So let's try this again. We'll rephrase the question, talk about the historical significance. Can we get an answer from you, T.D. Jakes? Are you a modalist or not? Oh, it's not true. Uh, Not all oneness people teach or believe the same thing about anything. Uh Uh-huh. So we're going to start off the question. uh, We're going to start off the answer to the question by saying that not everybody who's a oneness person believes the same thing. Mm-hmm. What's the point of the word oneness in the term oneness Pentecostal? Hmm? That's referring to their view of the Godhead. Are you saying that not all people who are oneness Pentecostals are modalists? And what does this have to do with the question, are you a modalist? Having been in those camps, I know for a fact they don't all teach the same thing the same way. People in our country, I don't know about over here, they don't really tie into denominations like they once. Can you answer the question, please? This is pretty simple. Are you a modalist or not? So the assumption that because you go to a church, you believe everything that they believe and you think the way they think is an assumption. And you just said that you used to believe. You put it in the past tense. So you're trying to say that you've evolved. You used to believe everything they believed and defended it vigorously. But you've, well, how did you say you have evolved? You've grown and you have peace, whatever that means. Um. And the one that's people, there are people that think everything from plain Trinitarian God in three persons to everything imaginable. I've heard everything imaginable. But what about you personally? And what about you? Yeah, that's coming back to the, the original question. I mean, your church is doctrinal, no, no, does no, have no. manifestations. Yes, but word. my church is non denominational. 
So he says, yeah, but your church on your website says that you believe in one God in three manifestations. Answer, well, my church is non-denominational. I, I just, just the way this interview is going, I just got a simple question. Why is it so hard for him to answer this question? It's pretty straightforward. If someone were to come to me and say, Chris, um, got a question for you. Um, there's some people out there, for whatever reason, there's this nasty rumor going around the internet that says that you're a modalist, that you deny the doctrine of the Trinity. <laughs> Are you a modalist or not? My answer would be pretty straightforward this. There's no way in Hades I would confess modalism. That is a historic heresy. I confess the historic biblical doctrine of the Trinity, and if you want to know the details of it, go to the Athanasian Creed. That I will sign. In fact, I'm putting my signature on it right now. That is what I believe regarding Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's put this modalism thing to, to bed right now, and we, that's all it takes. People will go, well, that's what Chris said. I mean, he... And he, he not only that, he pointed to something very clear regarding the doctrine of the Trinity. This is now the third time we've asked the, you know, Lay here, uh, Lay Hatcher, has asked three different times in three different ways, trying to get at the, the answer to the question, are you or are you not a modalist? And getting an answer, a straight answer from T.D. Jakes, it's like trying to chase down mercury on a Formica table. Good luck with that one. Well, let's see what if we finally get an answer here. And uh, we we embrace people regardless of what denomination they go. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad you have a non-denominational church and you embrace people. That's 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 great. You give them all a big hug. Can you answer the question? Are you a modalist or not? Um, uh, I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, one is Pentecostals say they believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, and Holy Spirit. Then they those are three manifestations. That's what's on your website. Believe that there are three persons. I believe that. In okay, so you believe there are three persons. Can we get some more details about that, please? That persons is a limited word for the Godhead, and even those. Who Hang on a second here. The what? So the devil's in the details. He believes that God exists in three persons, but that's a limited definition of the Godhead? Huh? Hang on. You need to hear it in context. I'm being rude and interrupting. Yes, yes but my church is non-denominational. And uh, we, we embrace people regardless of what denomination they come from. Uh, I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I believe that there are three persons. I believe that in a way that persons is a limited word for the Godhead. And even those who adhere to that say that to be true. Uh, so I believe that they're persons in the way that it's a limited thing regarding the Godhead. Um, yeah, um, number one, it took a long time to get there. Number two, when we got there, this is, uh, I mean, seriously, this is, this is a, as vague as, as that Italian word, bigamist. It's, it's just this big mystery, this bigamist. Yeah, it's, I feel like we're getting a smoke screen. We're getting fogged here. We're getting snowed in. Something's wrong here. I can't see out the window. Uh, you know, what's, can you please define persons for me? But but I think the issue is that there are distinctive so there are things that can be said about the father that couldn't be said about the son. And that's exactly what the modalists say. There's things that can be said about the father that can't be said about the son. Yeah, yeah. The Holy Spirit and I believe that. 
I've grown into that. But but what have you grown into exactly? This is very similar to the answer you gave to Christianity Today ten years ago, and it's as problematic as that was. And I read the response from Elliot Miller yesterday. I came into uh, a Pentecostal church that happened to be oneness. They loved me at a time that my father died. I became friends with them and in covenant with them and embraced them. And though I don't agree with everything, and they don't agree with everything, they're evolving other people. I'm not. Oh, they're evolving too. Yeah, okay, yeah. So we got a bunch of oneness evolvers out there. Use my platform again to attack people or attack a, a doctrine. That's not my mission. And even though there are others who say that it is, I know my calling. And I don't do. Well, you, you claim to be a pastor in the uh, Christian church, so let's take a look at what the Bible says regarding your so-called calling. Um, if you have your Bible, flip on over to Titus chapter one. Titus chapter one, which says, if, if in fact we'll we'll go to verse five, the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this: "This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife." That would mean Paula White and Cindy Trim don't qualify. Husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of the good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. How did T.D. Jakes get a pass on that? Hmm. Verse 10, for there are many who are insubordinate, who are empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophets of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Well, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith and not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Hmm. How did he get out of that responsibility? I, I'm just a little bit curious. Anyway, that's, that's all that T.D. Jakes really says regarding the doctrine of the Trinity. And... Uh, Thanks to uh, the blogger Mark Lamprecht of the Here I Blog website. In fact, please visit his website. He does a very good job there. Here I Blog, I can do no other. The uh, hereiblog.com. He actually took the time to uh, you know take his transcription, and he asked scholar David E. Calvin Beisner, who has published two books on the Trinity, and asked him his thoughts regarding Jake's comments on the uh, Open House uh, podcast. And uh, Beisner gave a reply. Here was Beisner's reply. Here's what he said. Um, quote, Far, far, far too little evidence there to justify reclassifying Jakes as a Trinitarian. Granted, all he's said before and his continuing to consider United Pentecostals his Christian brothers. Nothing quoted there falls outside of what any reasonable, sly, and sophisticated United Pentecostal could say. Let Jakes clearly and explicitly affirm such clear Trinitarian statements as the Nicene Creed, the symbol of Chalcedon, or the Athanasian Creed, or even just Warfield's summary. There is but one God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and each is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
each is a distinct person and let them let him also repudiate the anti-trinitarian statements of the united pentecostalism and other modalist sects and it'll be time to declare him converted to the true god my impression is that jakes is simply out to gain the trust of larger groups than the oneness pentecostal crowd in which he's been at home so um Dr. E. Calvin Beisner, who couldn't really be classified as um, uh, as uh, how uh, as a discernmentalist, mm, yeah, or as one who sits naked in a beanbag eating Cheetos while typing in his mother's basement and blogging on discernment blogs. That that seems to be the popular um, uh, painting or caricature that uh, you know guys uh, in the seeker-driven leadership like to paint bloggers and discernmental guys as discernmentalists who, um, well, they're, they're a taco short of a combo plate. They live in their mom's basement. They don't actually do anything productive. They're just a bunch of malcontents. Yeah, I, I think uh, Dr. E. Calvin Beisner um, is not of uh, of that particular stripe, would you think? And Dr. E. Calvin Beisner has the same thing, basically says the same thing I said at the beginning of the week. I will not believe that uh, T.D. Jakes is a Trinitarian until he signs on to a clear, clear confession regarding the doctrine of the Trinity and repudiates oneness, Pentecostal modalism. And uh, so there you go. I mean, you got to hear it in his own words. I mean, this guy is just as slippery as slippery gets. Uh, rather than giving a direct answer to the, the question that had to be asked three times as to whether he's a modalist, we got, well, all kinds of obfuscation and uh, poorly defined anythings regarding what he truly believes regarding God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as Calvin Beisner pointed out, everything he said could still be affirmed by a, a very cunning oneness Pentecostal. All right, we are up on our second break. Uh, when we come back, uh, we're not going to do a sermon review. We're going to do part two of Dr. Rosenblatt's lecture on the uh, Luther's ca uh, commentary on uh, on the epistle to the Galatian churches. So uh, you're not going to want to miss that. If you'd like to email me regarding anything yo, you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some. listening to Byron Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Rosebro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. 
Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to end the week off with a good lecture. Didn't get a chance to have this this week you know, as part of our just normal standalone light edition because I had to do the thing on the Trinity. Anyway, um, <clears throat> hang on. Since it's technically our sermon review time, I've got to cue up the music. I'm getting ahead of myself. I need a weekend. I need a couple of days off. <laughs> Ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Uh, today we're going to be listening to part two of the uh, lecture series presented at Faith Lutheran Church, Capistrano Beach, California, by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt, my mentor. He is working his way through Luther's commentary on uh, Paul's epistle to the Galatian churches. By the way, we're working on an ebook format for that, and uh, we'll be making it available as soon as we are finished to go along with this, these lectures. So, you, you know, we're trying to... <laughs> Let's just say I'm putting in some late, uh, <laughs> some late nights uh, at work lately. Anyway, let me kill the music here. So without any further ado... Love that part, though. Uh, here's Dr. Rod Rosenblatt in part number two on uh, Luther's uh, commentary on the Epistle to the Galatians. Here we go. All right. Last time I did the preface or um, uh, prefatory material with you, including uh, the basic argument of the book, and I also did the occasion for the letter, along with a lot of stuff that I passed out to you that we won't go over. So I'd like to charge right into chapter one, and we'll see uh, how we do uh, during the time that uh, we have together. So let's go. First, the signature. It was uh, common that you sign a letter first, uh, unlike us. So he, in verse one, Paul, an apostle, not from men, deals immediately with the Judaizers' charges and boldly sets forth his apostolic identity and authority. This is going to be the, the substance of the first and second chapters. Why does it matter? Well, uh, very simply, if St. Paul, who was not obviously one of the twelve, does not have apostolic status, you and I don't have to read it as Holy Scripture. Now, uh, when I was an agnostic, I wanted to hear somebody give me the connecting points as to why I should read 
somebody who wasn't part of the 12 and just said that he saw Jesus out on the road at 120 degrees in the shade. Um, so these, these are important, even though it might not appear, appear immediately. Uh, why? If St. Paul does not have apostolic status, then I'm going to end up taking two-thirds of my New Testament text and throwing it aside as brilliant, but I don't have to treat it as God's word. So, um, he uh, sums up the claim of the false apostles, that is, they were pupils of the apostles, he wasn't. They were sent by, they said, the apostles. Paul, for all anybody knew, wasn't. They despised him. They charged that he was neither of these things. And Paul responds, My calling is not from men or through man. It's through Jesus Christ and God the Father. So he's saying to the Galatians, Those preachers are sent either from men or through man, but my calling is through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Now, Luther comments on calling from men and through man. Um, He's immediately saying that self-called is illegitimate. Uh, Those Luther saw in his own day, primarily the Anabaptists uh, of his day, who run and speak on their own, lurk in corners, look for places to spew their venom, do not go into the public churches. Um, They go always where the gospel's already been planted, and so forth. So Luther discusses two ways in which somebody is called, either by means or without means. Um, I'm not going to do that in detail, The apostles were called immediately by Christ himself. Same with the prophets of the Old Testament. Then afterwards, we see in the New Testament, the apostles called their disciples. For example, Paul called Timothy. uh, A mediated calling, nevertheless, says Luther, divine. And this has been the usual method since the time of the apostles. It should not be looked down upon. Uh, but it should be exalted. Why? Well, because the sectarians who despise it uh, lay claim to some kind of other calling. Um, Luther gives an example. It is not lawful for me, Luther, to forsake my assigned station as a preacher and go to another city where I have no call to preach there. I have no right to do this. Um, There are places where the gospel was not being rightly preached, and he said we must just commit this matter to God, uh, pray that he will call ministers to preach the gospel well there, but we don't get to uh, introduce ourselves into a situation where we're not called to be. Um, There's quite an extended section on this. If you get the full outline, I've done it in some degree of detail. He also compares... When the prince calls me, uh, Luther, how I can have confidence that the prince called me. Um, But the upshot is that this matter of calling with divine authority, even though not directly by Christ, but through men, is to be respected. Uh, It's necessary on account of the fanatics. So when Paul says not from men or through men, he's knocking down 
the false apostles. I'm called and sent neither by men nor through men, but immediately by Christ himself. Now, of course, that's a claim anybody can make. Uh, It's one thing to claim something. It's something else to offer argument in its behalf. Uh, Here we have just the claim. So, says Luther, this comprises the first attack Paul makes against the false apostles. Um, It's not sufficient if a man has the word or and or even the pure doctrine. He must have assurance of his call. Those who have a sure and holy call uh, will surely bear many severe conflicts from the devil, from the world. And he says, how will somebody fare if they're not even sure of their own call? So this is a comfort for those in the ministry that we do have uh, a called office, legitimately called. Uh, Luther speculates, what will you do when your conscience says you've done all this without a call? So, he said, we can even boast in the ministry in this way because it isn't uh, self-focused. Luther says, I didn't understand this when I was a young theologian. I thought Paul was being impudent to boast of his call. I did not yet understand that the ministry of the word was so weighty a matter. Um, In our scholastic schools, there was no certainty being taught on anything. So he says this is not uh, to do with glorifying the minister uh, at all. It's actually a true humility uh, in the sight of God. And he says, and through God the Father, who raised him, Christ, from the dead. He's passionate here. Uh, Purpose, again, is to discuss and defend the righteousness that comes by faith. That's the theme of the book and to refute the law and the righteousness that comes by works. Again, in the column, Justification. So, uh, he declares again, by this righteousness, faith alone in Christ, are we justified. And those who are trying to undermine the righteousness of Christ are resisting the Father as well as resisting the Son. So, at the very outset, Paul explodes with the entire issue Uh, He intends to set forth in the whole epistle. He refers to the resurrection of Christ, who rose again for our justification, Romans 4. So even though the tyrants, uh, sin, death, the devil, and the law, call them the tyrants. So even though these tyrants accuse us, terrify us, they cannot drive us to despair. Why? Because Christ, whom God the Father raised from the dead, is the victor over all of them. And he is our righteousness. We don't have any of our own. Thanks be to God. Now, notice how Paul speaks to the point here. He doesn't say, through God who made heaven and earth, who is Lord of angels, who sent Moses to Pharaoh. No. Paul had something else uh, in mind, the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, he uses words that contribute to this. Um, And he proceeds to establish and maintain this righteousness of faith in Christ, sola, uh, against anybody who deposes it. Verse 2, and all the brethren who are with me. That's to stop again the mouths of the false apostles. They said, Paul's all alone. There are many of us, few of him. So it's again 
to uh, the purpose of the arguments, to enhance and exalt his ministry with regard to the gospel, and to discredit theirs that has to do with the law justifying us. It's as if Paul is saying it's sufficient that by an immediate divine call I've been sent as an apostle, but in order not to stand alone, I add all the brethren who are with me. Um, I don't have to do this, but you should consider them writing this letter as well as I. They bear witness with me that the doctrine I'm talking about is true and correct. Thus far the signature to the book. Now the address itself. To the churches in Galatia, verse 2. Paul had preached the gospel purely in Galatia, and after he left, false apostles sneaked in. Luther again compares them to the fanatics in his day, going to places where the gospel is established and insinuating themselves into churches like that, not working with unbelievers so much as finding places where the gospel is established and then going there. Um, says Luther, godly preachers, after laboring for years planting churches, Many times see it quickly overthrown by the Shamari, the fanatics, the Anabaptists, a total anguish for godly ministers, um, frustrating, dispiriting to them, but it's sort of how it goes. Um, Jerome, he says, asks, why does Paul call these churches? And Luther says he's using a form that is common in scripture, for instance, Corinth where many followed false teachers, denied Christ's resurrection, uh, moral faults of all kinds, but Paul still addresses them as churches. It's, he says, why we even call the church of Rome, in a sense, holy. It's worse than Sodom, but still within it are baptism, the sacraments, the text of the gospel, sacred scripture, uh, the name of Christ and so forth, the treasure is still there, buried as it is. Uh, we refer to Wittenberg as a holy village, and it's only because of the presence of the word of the gospel and the presence of the sacraments. That's the sole reason we call it church. If those things aren't there, and of course with the Anabaptist sacraments weren't, we don't call them church. Uh, so, again, point. So that we may distinguish between Christian holiness, that is the righteousness of faith alone in Christ, and all other kinds. He illustrates with monks and their orders, they call them holy orders. He said, that's an error. Christian holiness is utterly and completely passive, not active. Again, this is major point in the, in the epistle. The works that monks do are holy. God demands uh, them of us, but they do not make us holy. The church, or believers, are holy by a holiness that isn't our own, a passive holiness. Though the Galatians had been led astray, they still have baptism, they still have the word of the gospel, scripture, the name of Christ. Some had not defected still trusted these things. Um, and he adds another point here that's worth our looking at because it's so commonly argued, quote, for baptism, the gospel, etc., do not become unholy because I am defiled and unholy. 
or if I have a false understanding of them. On the contrary, they remain holy and exactly what they were. They still are what they are. Therefore, the church is holy even where the fanatics are dominant, so long as they do not deny the word and the sacraments. But, of course, they do, at least the sacraments. Wherever the substance of the word and the sacraments abide, there the church is present. Um, If they aren't, it isn't. Some kind of a group, but you don't call it church. Thus, our brief answer to this question is this. The church is universal throughout the world wherever the gospel of Christ and the sacraments are present. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Luther says, I assume you know the meaning of the word grace and the meaning of the word peace. I'm not so sure in our day. Uh, Particularly the word peace. Um, It is not the eagle's peaceful, easy feeling. Well, we live in a therapeutic generation. Paul, in his other epistles, makes very clear that sinners are at war with their creator, totally guilty for it, um, and all the feelings of dis-ease within, actually, until we're under the mediator, are telling us the truth. There's trouble. And the way he uses peace is objective. That is, it's, uh, it's one of the words associated with Christ's work on the cross. Whereas we created war with our creator, <clears throat> Christ comes and without asking us, uh, goes to the cross. And one of the aspects of that is by his blood, the blood of the cross, he creates peace where there was war. It's the same sort of language as uh, labor management, marriage counseling, all of that. But in this case, it's objective, not subjective. There's peace between you and God. If you're hidden in Christ, there's peace between you and God, even though you have no feelings of peace, whatever. It's an objective claim, not a subjective one. God, by the blood of the cross, created peace where there was war. Um, that's from New Testament. You can, you won't be charged extra for that. <laughs> okay, so I repeat what we teach and preach and sing and write. Uh, it is most necessary and the most important thing. This doctrine of the righteousness based on faith in Christ alone. Uh, the apostles' greeting. Here is new to the world. We're used to it. They weren't. It had never been heard before, the proclamation of the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These two words, says Luther, embrace the whole, that's with the W, of Christianity. <coughs> Grace, uh, the free forgiveness of sin, and peace, the healing of the conscience. Uh, These are the two devils who plague us, says Luther, sin and conscience. But Christ has conquered these, these two monsters. He's trodden them underfoot. The world doesn't know this, so it cannot teach anything sure about how to overcome sin, conscience, and death. Only Christians have this teaching. Only we are armed with it. It's a teaching given only by God, 
and it does not proceed from free will, nor was it invented by human reason or wisdom. These two words, grace and peace, contain a summary of all of Christianity. But, says Luther, peace is impossible unless sin has first been forgiven. And the law tells us that over and over again, accusing us, terrifying our consciences on account of our sin. Uh, we've learned the hard way that it cannot be removed by works. He uses pilgrimages and vigils and uh, other things that he had to do as a monk. In fact, the more we work and sweat to extricate ourselves, the worse off we are. There's no way to remove sin except by grace. And he's going to argue that in great detail. Again, the world does not understand this doctrine. It neither can or will tolerate it. It brags about our free will, our powers, our works, all means by which to earn or attain grace and peace, which to Luther is a complete oxymoron, to earn grace. Um, the conscience cannot be quieted or jo joyful unless it has peace uh, through this grace. So he, is, he then uh, says that Paul distinguishes this grace and peace from other kinds. Uh, this one is not from Caesar or kings or princes. Uh, they, in fact, persecute Christians. Nor is it from the world. Christ said, uh, in the world you'll have tribulation, but it is from God the Father. The world's peace may grant some peace uh, of pro property, our bodies, but in times of trouble and the hours of death, that grace and peace will be utterly unable to help us or deliver us. Um, and the apostle adds, and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Doesn't it suffice to say from God the Father, Luther, has been, uh, our, is been our constant counsel that we must refrain from speculating too much about the majesty of God. And here he digresses on that. Um, climbing our Tower of Babel, or what he considered the, uh, the uh, scholastics to have done, mentally with arguments from Aristotle and so forth, to climb up to heaven and peek in at the nude God in the shower is beyond us. This is forbidden to us, and it is beyond us, and we ought have nothing to do with it. It is too much for the human body or mind to bear. The Pope and Turks and Jews pay no attention to this rule. They put Christ the mediator out of sight and then speak of God. Uh, Luther will have nothing to do with this. True Christian theology does not present God to us in his majesty. Rather, it presents to us Christ, born of the Virgin, as our mediator and our high priest. When we are embattled against the law, sin, and death, it's dangerous to stray into heaven with speculations, our speculations, to aim to investigate God in his power, wisdom, and majesty. Um, this, if we attempt to do it, to sort of uh, know him apart from Christ the mediator, says Luther, you will fall in horrible despair and lose everything. Um, if you want to be safe, put a check on that speculative spirit first, and two, 
take hold of God as scripture instructs you, starting in the virgin's womb, in the manger, at his mother's breasts. It is for this purpose he came down. He wanted to fix the gaze of our hearts upon himself and to prevent us from clamoring into heaven and speculating about the divine majesty. Huh? So Luther is always advocating, if you want to know something about God, start with Christ, even in his infancy, and particularly where he looks the weakest, nailed to a cross and bleeding and dying. Uh, that's the aspect of Luther uh, to which he directs people who are considering Christianity. Okay? In matters of conscience and righteousness and forgiveness of sins, all these things disabuse your mind completely of all speculation and investigation into the majesty of God. Pay attention only to this man. That's why Paul makes such frequent practice of linking Jesus Christ with God the Father. The true Christian faith doesn't begin at the top. Other religions do. Christianity doesn't. It begins at the bottom. We are to put away all these speculations about the majesty of God and run directly to the manger, to the mother's womb, to embrace this infant, to gaze on him, to embrace him. So, this is the first thing we note regarding why Paul wishes grace and peace, not only from God the Father, but also from Jesus Christ. Then he had, Luther adds a second thing here. This, this is a substantiation of the fact that Jesus is true God. Uh, the true deity of Christ is here again proved. Uh, Paul attributes to him the ability to grant the very same things that the Father grants. Grace, peace of conscience, forgiveness of sins, life, uh, victory over sin, death, the devil, and hell. Uh, this would be illegitimate or sacrilegious if Christ were not truly and fully God. He gives grace and peace, not as the apostles did, uh, which was derivatively, they pointed to Christ. Here he does it directly as its author and creator. No creature, even an angel, gives these. But Christ does, and in doing so knows that he's saying that he's uh, equal to God the Father. Paul attributes the very same power to create all of this to Christ just as much as to the Father. Says Luther, it follows necessarily that Christ is truly God. Then he warns a little about the Christological errors. You can do that in the fuller version of the outline, particularly the Arians and particularly Muhammad. But the Arians, uh, you want to watch for. That's today's Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, Christ was God's first creature. Very high, higher than you, but a creature. Uh, Arianism. It's not the same spelling as Hitler's blonde-haired, blue-eyed youth. Huh? It's a different spelling. Arius, the bishop. Okay. Who gave himself for our sins, verse 4. Uh, Paul has nothing in his mouth but Christ. Uh, he doesn't write who has received our works or sacrifices required by the law of Moses from us. No. Instead, he writes who has given. Given what? Not gold, silver, cattle, Passover lambs, nor an angel. Himself. For what? Not for a crown, not for a kingdom, nor for our holiness or righteousness, but for our sins. 
The words are a thunderbolt from heaven, says Luther, against every kind of righteousness except the saving faith in Christ and that alone. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 1 John 1, 29. We must pay careful attention, said Luther, to every word. These words are filled with comfort and great encouragement to timid consciences. The question is, what are we to do with our sins? Paul answers it. The man who is called Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has given himself for them. These are wonderful, wonderful words of consolation, if true, and they are. Uh, and says Luther, such artillery must be used to destroy the papacy, all the religions of the heathen, all ceremonies, all works, and all merits. Luther's view of the religions of the world was a very simple one. There was the religion of grace, and then there was everybody else. That was his division of the religions of the world. Pretty simple one. Okay? If our sins could have been removed by our own satisfactions, then why did the Son of God have to be given for them? But since he was given for them, it follows that we cannot remove them by works of our own. It also follows that our sins are so great, so infinite, that the whole world could not make satisfaction even for one of them. We regard our sins as kind of trivial, but we should note here the infinite greatness of the price paid for them. All men are, are captives and slaves of sin. Paul uses the phrase sold under sin, Romans 7. It is a very cruel and powerful tyrant over all men, and it cannot be overthrown by angels or men. Only the infinite sovereign power of Jesus Christ, the Son, who was given for it, will do. How will we benefit if we cling to this man, Jesus Christ? Well, uh, we will be taken from things that are vain, vicious, useless, empty, um, and so forth. And in its place will be put Christ who saves freely uh, and of his own volition. Luther says also pray, pay attention to the pronoun, our. There are important things about pronouns in scripture and their proper application. It's easy for you to say the son, the son of God was given for the sins of Peter, Paul, and other saints. We imagine them as more worthy of grace. But it's very hard to say and believe that Christ was given for your many and great sins. Um, your weak nature and reason will be thrown back. You will finally not dare approach God or believe you should re receive such a great treasure freely. Um, you imagine, and Luther says he knows this because it's his own autobiography, you imagine that you, you cannot approach God unless somehow you're poor, pure and sinful first. Human reason would like to present to God an imitation or counterfeit sinner. Uh, a sinner who really down deep is well and needs no physician. Says Luther, the whole world thinks like this, especially those who want a great reputation for goodness and holiness. He, thinking of monks and the self-righteous. We want to be able to present uh, righteousness before the judgment seat of Christ and demand that the judge reward us with eternal life. And we pretend to be guilty of certain trivial sins and purposely overlook the great ones. Luther said, this is how the human mind, this side of the fall, works. 
The true wisdom of Christians is to believe Paul's words that Christ was given over to death for our sins, real ones, great ones, many, huge, invincible. It was for those that he went to die, not for sham or counterfeit sins. And we must prepare, not just for times of temptation, but also uh, the struggle that will come at death. We must be able to say to Satan with assurance, Christ was given not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous and for sinners. If I were righteous, I would have no need of Christ as my propitiator. There is nothing in me but sins, real ones and serious ones. Luther said the meaning of, of justification or salvation is taking these words to be serious and true. Betting the blue chips just on Christ's death and nothing to do with our righteousness, spirituality, growth, or any of it. That's all got to die. Huh? That's got to that's go. And Luther said, this is difficult to believe because it's counterintuitive. This is not easy to keep believing. It's marvelous that we're able to believe this one day to the next. It's sort of an argument for miracle because it's so counterintuitive. Um, so, the dialogue between Satan and you, the devil will say you're a sinner, therefore you're damned. You're to answer him, no, I shall not, for I take refuge in Christ, who has given himself for my sins. Hmm? There's a whole long dialogue here I won't quote, but it, it's in the larger out, outline. Okay? This, said Luther, enables you to avoid all the tricks of the devil. Um, so he can't hold on uh, uh, or so he can't succeed in making us hold on to the memory of sins and torturing ourselves and so forth. It is very important, says Luther, to use Paul's definition of Christ, son of God, born of the virgin, delivered and put to death for our sins. We will imagine, we all do, says Luther, that he is a cruel master rather than the propitiator for the sins of the world. He is not, says Luther, the one who terrifies, troubles, condemns sinners, um, or calls us to account for our evil past, but the one who has taken away the sins of the whole world, nailing them to his cross, Colossians 2. So learn the definition and especially practice this pronoun, our. Believe that Christ has taken away not just the sins of some men, but yours. Huh? Gave himself for our sins, says Luther. I am not here teaching anything novel, nor is Paul. We're repeating and confirming old doctrines. To deliver us from the present evil world. Again, sort of a summary of the epistle, the present world that has been uh, as differentiated from the age to come. That's the basic setup of uh, the New Testament rather than seven dispensations. The basic setup is the age which is passing away and the new one inaugurated by Christ's incarnation, death, and resurrection, and which is to come uh, in all its wonder and surprise and glory. Um, so, uh, 
Next five, to whom be the glory forever and ever. That's very common practice of inserting and mingling praise and thanks in the biblical writings. Then six, this is really, um, well, it's not the formal um, address, the beginning of it, but it's really substantial. I marvel you are so quickly taken away from the gospel I preach to you. He doesn't attack the Galatians. Instead, he speaks sort of paternally, sort of excusing it, at least a little bit. But he's really, really violent and indignant toward the Galatians' betrayers, the false apostles. Later, he's going to say, let them be accursed, or they will bear judgment. Dreadful words of law. Now, Paul could have treated the Galatians that way, but he refrains, uh, treats them with more gentleness, uh, that you are so soon taken away from the gospel I preach to you. How difficult, says Luther, to keep a steadfast faith. Again, a work built up over years can be overthrown in a night, he's thinking the Anabaptists. And it's what happened to Paul's churches in Galatia, evidently. The word removed, says Luther, is a gentle word that you're removed from. Uh, and he writes as if the Galatians were sort of passive or suffered harm at the hands of others. He accuses those who have removed them more than he accuses the Galatians of having been removed. Um, I wish you had been a little more mature in the strength of sound doctrine. They so quickly removed you from the historic gospel. Uh, and he has a little thing of uh, etymology of the word Galatians, um, that it means to be fallen or carried away. And uh, Paul, he says, is saying, you, you really are this in name and in fact. Paul Luther says, some say we Germans were descended from the Galatians. <laughs> from him that called you into the grace of Christ. There are two possible interpretations of that. From Christ who calls you in grace, or from God who calls you in the grace of Christ, Luther takes the first view from Christ, and he explains why that's in your fuller outline. Alas, how easily you let yourselves be withdrawn and removed from Christ. Luther complains with Paul, the wicked world's response to Christ dying for the sins of all men it blasphemes him, persecutes his word, would like to crucify him again if it got half the chance. Paul contrasts the grace uh, that he preached to them with the hard laws of Moses. Christ called you in grace to make you free rather than slaves under Moses. And you, through the false apostles, have become disciples of Moses again. Not only that, but quickly and easily and unto another gospel. Hmm? False teachers never come wearing labels saying false teacher. Huh? They aren't labeled. Uh, and Luther acknowledges this. The argument used by the false apostles to condemn what Paul had preached? Well, Paul made a good start, a good foundation, but a good start isn't enough. Acts 15. Christ is a good workman. He started it, but he did not complete it. We need Moses. 
And in our day, says Luther, the sectarian arguments are similar. The foundation was well laid by the Lutherans, but they have a cowardly spirit and do not speak the truth frankly. Um, they do not draw out the consequences from the foundations, but the foundation is not enough. Uh, there must be two more parts, the middle and the end, and God has not assigned the Lutherans this task. He's left that to us Anabaptists to do. Verse 7, which is not another gospel, but there be some that trouble you. The Galatians are again excused by Paul, and he attacks the false apostles who misled them. He attacks the seducers, has harsh words for them as subverters of the gospel, troublers of churches' consciences, those who seduce and deceive and cause horrible damage. Says Luther, we have the same evil in our day. Paul and the false teachers condemn and reprove each other. Luther, there's always controversy and condemnation going on in the church, especially where the gospel is prospering. False teachers, troublers of churches, subverters of the gospel. Meanwhile, the poor common folk are confused, wavering, and wondering. Um... Luther, everyone who teaches works and the righteousness of law is a troubler of the church. Now think carefully. With regard to justification, everyone who teaches works and the righteousness of the law in the article, the chief article, is a troubler of the church. Examples, pope, cardinals, bishops, monks. Worse than the false apostles of Paul's day, says Luther. The false teachers then added works to faith. The papists omit faith. In their place, they teach invented traditions of men, works which were never commanded by God. So Luther says they're even worse. Uh, the reason Paul has set himself so sharply against the false teachers and called them troublers, basic theme that they taught that in, in addition to simple faith in Christ, circumcision and the observation of the law were necessary to justification. There's your core thing again. They added to Christ's death and cross and death as enough to save simply trusted and added back Moses and the law at the level of justification. That's the whole epistle, to argue that one point twelve ways from Friday. Okay, how are we doing for time here? I don't want to hold you over. Um, let's let's uh, consider that the day. If there's still time, I'll open it up for questions. If not, I'll uh, certainly try to allow them next time. Yes, uh, uh, Dr. Rosenblatt, question on back, if we could go back to verse 2, I think it was, or um, verse 3, the, uh, where it talks about, you know, Jesus died for our sins. Is that a good argument uh, against the limited atonement? Uh, well, no, uh, I, I don't think it would be the best verse because the Calvinist is just going to say the owl refers to yeah. us. Yeah. No, the ones that are bothersome are the ones where Christ ends up dying for somebody who ends up rejecting it. 
that the Calvinist has trouble with at two levels. That somebody could reject after having been regenerated is to them, in principle, impossible. Um, and that somebody who was purchased with the precious blood of the death of the Son uh, would end up not uh, being saved. Yes, Alice? Uh, Rod, I, on verse 6, uh, the Concordia version says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you to the grace of Christ. And you said that another version might say that people are pulling you away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are they deserting or are there people actively pulling them away? Well, um, Luther says Paul here is gentler than he could be. Uh, he could say you were chasing down a new gospel and you deserve where you are now, but he doesn't talk like that. He talks to the false apostles as the really guilty ones for having seduced the poor Galatians away from a gospel of true grace and freedom to something that he later calls another gospel, which is no gospel at all. You had mentioned that the uh, label of the church only exists where the gospel and the sacraments are. Mm -hmm. Uh, What would you say about the churches or non-churches where the gospel and the sacraments are watered down? Uh, Say baptism doesn't forgive, uh, the body and blood aren't present in the in the wine and the bread, or where the gospel is rarely used uh, in the sermons and so forth. Yeah, I I would say I have I have no biblical grounds to call you church. Uh, you're some kind of gathering of people people uh, for some reason or other, um, but uh, in our book of Concord, those things are fundamental a right preaching of the gospel, and a correct administration of sacraments defines church. Even the Calvinists, the ones who are like Dr. Horton, say that they had church discipline, but that's a whole other subject. Back to your um, comment about calling. Mm-hmm. Is it always external then? Uh, yeah, Luther is, is at pains to say it can be either direct or mediated, mediated like Timothy, <clears throat> but his... His foil there is where there is no paying attention to call. You in your exuberance uh, go jumping into some city as if you're a minister and set up your soapbox in the town square. He's always thinking they're the Anabaptists where there's no orderliness at all. All right. Let's call it a day then. I don't want to hold you over. Thanks for your attention. Hope it's of value to you. Mm, fantastic lecture. Good stuff. I hope you find that as helpful as I do. I just, it, It's great, great, great stuff. All right, so we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith and the end of a broadcast week. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. I don't make a gazillion dollars doing this. In fact, we're always <laughs> running on vapors. I'm not going to turn around and buy a jet or anything of the sort. I mean, I remotely have the money to do that. But the reality is, is that without your support, we can't keep doing what we're doing. So if you would like to uh, partner with us so that we can keep bringing this important radio outreach to you and to the world, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And when you get there, you can click on one of the two friendly yellow buttons. And thank you, thank you, thank you for your financial support. 
All right, so what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you would like to email me, you can. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or if you'd like to be my friend on Facebook, it's uh, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can write on my wall there, leave links, or, you know, just be a malcontent if you want to. Or if you want, like to send me a tweet, you do so by uh, at pirate Christian there. Till next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.